Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Psalm 139, verse 23 through 24. How many of us enjoy hearing the word checkup? Usually, when I hear the word checkup, I think about the doctor. It also uh, brings to mind some scary thoughts of car inspections. <laughs> Either way, not many things related to the word strike me as very pleasant. In almost any context I can think of, whether it's doctors or car inspections or job situations or a class at school, a checkup is not something that I look forward to. Now, why is that? Well, because many times they cost a lot, don't they? Maybe a checkup costs us money. And we say, you know, I got a lot of things I need to spend my money on. I don't want to spend it on that expense. Maybe a checkup costs us time. I've got other things to do in my life. I, I don't have time to do uh, any sort of checkup. Sometimes checkups, though, can be painful, can't they? They can be painful to have done, or they can be painful after you find out the information after the checkup and you have to deal with it. And sometimes we just rather not know what the situation is than have the checkup. But the fact is, we have checkups for a reason. We need to see where things really are. We could say it like this. Though we'd like to think that everything in our life is as it should be, that may not be true. And so we have checkups so that we can know reality, so we can know the truth and we can be prepared to deal with whatever needs fixing. Well, today I want you to turn with me to Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Psalm 139 is a great passage in God's Word. I encourage you to go back and uh, look at all the verses in that chapter at some point. In fact, one person has said this about it. They said, if we compare this sacred poem with any hymn of classical antiquity in honor of the heathen deities, the immense superiority of the sentiments it contains must convince any reasonable person that David, who's the one who wrote it, and the Israelites though maybe inferior in other respects to some other nations, surpass them in religious knowledge. This psalm is part of the proof that no philosopher in ancient times ever attained to such sublime views of God as the Hebrew prophets. Now, that was a lot loftier language than Robbie Langford could use if I was describing it, but I might just say it's a powerful passage. Amen? <laughs> it's a powerful passage that helps us to understand more about God. And at the end of this great psalm, we see what appears to be a prayer. We might say that David is expressing it like this. God, you are so amazing, which he's talked about in the, the verses prior. And as I think about you, God, it makes me think how unlike you I really am. So, Lord, in light of that, would you do a checkup on me? Would you search my heart? Where, would you see where I really am in my life right now? Now, though we don't prefer checkups in most areas of our lives, I have a feeling that to some degree or another, it wouldn't hurt all of us to have a spiritual checkup this morning. And so that's why we're going to talk about letting God search your heart this morning in Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Letting God search your heart. And the first thing that I see flowing out of these verses as we read them is, do you want God to search you? Now, let's read Psalm 139, verse 23. It says, search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. The first thing is, do you want God 
to search your heart. Now, we've already addressed some of the reasons that we don't typically like this sort of thing. So as we consider God searching our hearts today, I need to challenge you to consider that question. Are you, first of all, willing for God to do this? Are you ready for it? Are you desiring it? You see, God can do anything. But because He cares so much about a relationship with us, He's chosen to set things up in such a way that we must be open to Him working in our lives in order for us to experience all that He has for us. The Bible says that David, who wrote this psalm, was open to the Lord. And he expressed that by saying, Search me, O God. He was telling God to examine Him thoroughly. That's what that word search means. God, examine me thoroughly. Now, did you notice what I said? I said he was telling God to do that. Now, actually, in some sense, that is accurate to say. Because you see, the word search that David uses, it may surprise you, is a command, is an imperative. You say, now, now wait a minute, Pastor. <laughs> we don't tell God to do anything. Well, let me explain what's happening here. All throughout this passage, David uses commands. But let me explain why. You see, throughout the Bible, we find this in many prayers. In the Greek language, they call it the imperative of entreaty. Now, I think it might make more sense to us to call it a command of request. And let me give you an example. Matthew 6, chapter 11, when it says, Give us this day our daily bread, that actually is a command. But obviously, from the context of the passage, what is it? It's a request. God, you might even insert Please, right? <laughs> In fact, I find myself not wanting to say too many commands to God, so I might say, Lord, do this, please, right? We could insert that there. The command may just serve to emphasize the fervency of that prayer, the strong desire by which the person is asking it. He says, search me, O God. Then he says, know my heart. Now, that word know means intimate knowledge. It even was a euphemism that was used in the Old Testament to refer to sexual relations. Sometimes you'll hear, and such and such man knew his wife. That's what it's talking about there. You'll notice that that particular word is mentioned twice in these verses, and again, it is used as a command. Then he says, try me. That means to examine or to test in order to prove if something is real. It's a word that's used throughout the Old Testament to refer to God examining a person to see if that person is truly genuine. And once again, what do we expect? It's put as a command of request to God. Then he says, see God, see if there be any hurtful way in me. God, look at my life, consider my life, observe my life, Lord. And again, that's put as a command. What is happening here? David is expressing to God an openness to the Lord. Even more than an openness, an openness might give the impression that, hey, if God wants to, he can, right? That's what open sounds like. But it's more than an openness. It, we get the impression that it's an intense desire. God, I want this. This is the longing of my heart. I want you to search my life. Now, I ask you the question, do you want God to search you? Isn't that almost even silly to ask? <laughs> Do I, do I want God to search me? He's God. He has the right to search out my life, and He has the ability to search out my life anytime He wants to, whether we ask for it or not. Proverbs 15, verse 3, a verse that, that uh, I have by my computer for another application, but Proverbs 15, verse 3 says this, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching over the evil and the good. 
So what is this emphasizing that we're seeing in these verses? It's emphasizing the relationship. God wants us to get the point that he wants us to want him and to search out our lives, that he wants that to be our desire and our longing. That was David's desire. Does that express your heart today? Could you honestly say, God, I want you, I desire for you, I'm asking you even to look at my heart, to look at my life, to search me, to know me, to try me, to see me. Or would you say, if you were really honest this morning, you'd have to say that you're more in a avoiding God mode. Maybe, maybe you're not even open, not, not much less pursuing. You're not even open, but you're, you're kind of avoiding the Lord. You're pushing away for Him rather than having a desire to seek Him or for Him to, to seek you out. Or maybe you're not pushing away. Maybe you just have a neutral attitude. Maybe you're saying, I'm open to God working, but, but I'm not really pursuing that. David gives us the impression here. That if you're going to let God search your heart, God wants you to have a desire for that to happen. We're talking about letting God search your heart. Do you want that? Do you desire for him to do that? That's the first question. But the second thought that comes from these verses is this. Is every area of your life open to him? Now, the first question is, do you desire for God to search out your heart? But the second one is, is every area of your life open to him? You might say, God, I want you to help me with my life, but, but I'm not quite to the point David was, and we've already hinted at it, and let's look at it in these verses. He says, God, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this. He says, in general, I want you to do this in me. He says that a couple of times. But then did you notice? He says, uh, search me, O God, and know my heart. Now, that word heart that's used there, most of the time when the word heart is used in the Bible, it's not referring to the physical organ in the body that we usually think of as the heart. But as one author has said, in the Bible, the word heart came to mean the richest term for describing man's innermost being. So important was the concept of the heart that it really came to refer to a person's totality of being. Their physical, their mental, their emotional, their spiritual well-being, all of it. In Genesis 18, 5, there's an example of the physical part. It talks about someone who needed rest and needed to get their strength, and it says that they needed to refresh their hearts. Now, again, the context is talking about physical well-being, but by using the term their hearts, do you see how the physical tied in with the rest of their life? If they were uh, replenished physically, then that was going to encourage them in every other way. So the heart came to have that idea. Another good example that might help you is uh, sometimes the phrase is used to set your heart upon something. Okay, you maybe have heard that term before. Well, that term means to think about something. To set your heart upon it means to think about it, to, to look on it, to desire it with all that you are. And so this word heart is very important. And when David says, God, I want you to know my heart. Do you see how deep that goes? God, I want you to be intimately acquainted with every aspect of my being. I want you to be involved with every single part of who I am. And then David gets even more specific. He talks about two particular areas. He talks about thoughts and he talks about actions. He says, God, I want you to know my thoughts. I want you to know, some of your translations say, like my New American Standard, my anxious thoughts. Now, this is a word that's only used a couple of times in the Old Testament. It's kind of hard to tell 
how that should be translated. Should it just be thoughts or should it be kind of anxious or kind of some uh, ambivalent thoughts? Well, I think probably thoughts is the way that it should be interpreted. But it has an idea of ambivalent thoughts, of, of nervous thoughts. And so David might be saying this, God, I want you to know my thoughts, which you know aren't very stable ones. <laughs> you get the sense there? God, I want you to know what I'm thinking about. I want you to search out my thoughts. And by the way, God, apart from you, my thoughts are kind of unstable. That's what David wanted God to do. I want him to be intimately acquainted with my thought life. And that's a big thing to say, isn't it? Our thought life is one of the hardest and deepest struggles that we face. And David said, God, before you, I want you to be involved in every single area of my life and not just the things that other people see, but God, the things that are deep down inside of me. But not only that, he said, not only that, God, I want you to search down deep within me my thoughts, but, but I want you to see if there's any hurtful ways in me. Now, that word hurtful is a word that's used all throughout the Old Testament to describe emotional, physical, mental pain and discomfort and sorrow, hardship and hurt. In other words, it's a no good, very bad day word, okay? That's what that word is. It's a form of the word that Jabez used in his prayer. Many of you know the prayer of Jabez or Jabez, whatever you want to call him. First Chronicles 4, verse 10, when he asked God to keep his life from evil so that he would not experience or cause pain in the lives of others. That's, the, that's a form of the word that's being used here. So you see what the heart is. What David's saying there is, God, I don't want there to be anything in me that would cause pain in someone else's life. And he's specifically talking about, I don't want any of those kind of paths, any kind of roads. What would we say? Any kind of direction in my life. I don't want any path that I take in life. Any direction that I take, any road that I travel in my life to be characterized by hurtfulness, by sorrow, by hardship, by pain being caused in my life or in the lives of other people. God, would you search me out? Would you search me out? I want you to work. But more than that, God, I want you to work in every aspect of my life, both in my thoughts and in the steps and the actions that I take in my life. Can I share something with you? That is the kind of heart that God is looking for. God, all throughout his word, seems to emphasize that he wants to work in every area of our life. God wants all of us. He doesn't want a quarter of us, a half of us, 95% of us. God deserves, by the way, and he desires to have 100% of our lives. Maybe you could picture it like this. Sometimes, I know y'all don't do this, and my wife might get on to me for sharing that we might do this, but uh, when you invite people over, you don't mind them going into certain rooms, right? But you close some others off, right? That's why there's locks on the door. Maybe there's rooms that are private, like your bedroom, or maybe there's rooms that aren't presentable, like a bathroom that you didn't have time to clean before, or, or maybe there's some clothes spread out and on a kid's bed, or maybe an adult's bed like me, uh, or maybe that room hasn't quite been decorated like you, so it's not quite what you want people to see, or maybe sometimes it's a room that you're ashamed of, right? Maybe there's some guilt involved, maybe there's something sinful, or there's something ungodly in there. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, don't, don't check your email on my computer. Okay, hold up, hold up. Maybe later, when I Erase some things, right? When God comes over to your house, though, he says, I'm going to need full access. 
it is not appropriate to keep God out of any room of my house. So I want you to think about this morning. Are you ready? Honestly, are you ready? Are you willing for God to see all areas of your life? Both those are your deepest and darkest secrets and and those things that, that are the most visible that everybody sees. Are there any doors in your house? If God were to come to your house today and knock on the door, are there any that you'd say, oh, Lord, you know, come in here, boy, you know, got this all nice. Oh, yeah, come in here. Oh, wait just a minute. We don't want to go in that one. Are there any doors like that in your house? Now, again, I remind us, he already sees, doesn't he? He's already there. What he's wanting to do is he's wanting to get us to the point that we would acknowledge that that's not the kind of place that we would that he would have in our house and that he would uh, we would get to the place that we would be willing to let him go in there and do whatever it is he would do if he was there is every area of your life open to god or are there some doors that are closed to him right now do you want god to search you that's talking about attitude isn't it do i have the desire is every area open to him that's really talking about access isn't it Does God have the access to my life where where I've given him permission to come into any area of my life? But the third thing has to do with availability. Are you willing to follow his leading? Are you willing to follow his leading? He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way. David obviously has a desire for God to search out his heart. David's obviously expressing God. God, you can go anywhere you want to in my life. But then he says, and lead me in the everlasting way. Now, I think maybe the reason that you and I aren't quick to allow God to work in us is because we're afraid of what's going to happen when He arrives. And I have to be honest with you, your hunch is right. When God comes into your life, when you allow Him to search out your heart, He is going to find things to deal with that maybe you and I don't want to deal with. And he's probably, and in fact, I'd say very likely, going to have some new directions for you. And they very possibly could be things that you wouldn't have chosen for your life. But I hope we'll get more like David today. David knew that was going to happen. David knew that if he opened himself up, and if he opened himself up completely to God, that God was going to have some things that he wanted to do that apparently were different than what David would do because David said, God, I want you to lead me. I want you to lead me in the everlasting way. He welcomed God taking over his life. David says, Lord, I want you to do that spring cleaning in my heart. And whatever you say, that is what we're going to do. I don't know how many of you watch uh, the TV show, The Nanny. Uh, Now, I haven't watched it a whole lot, but from what I've seen, it's not a bad show. But it's always interesting when I, when I see her uh, come into a house and, you know, the parents said, are you familiar with that show, The Nanny? Okay, people are basically saying, we can't get control of our house. You know, our kids are taking over the house. We need some help. So what do they do? They get on the phone, they call The Nanny. She comes riding up, not on her white horse, but in her little British car. I don't know what kind of car it is. And she comes riding up in her car. She comes in. She observes everything that's happening. The family says, oh, we're so desperate. Just tell us. We're at your mercy. We'll do whatever you say to do. But not long after observing them, they actually had that sit down. And she says, okay, are you ready? Oh, yes, we need it. Please help us. She begins sharing, okay, here's what we're going to need to do. And it's not a couple of minutes into it. 
that they're saying, oh, no, we ain't going to do that. <laughs> oh, no. No, we need your help, but not that kind of help. Aren't we like that with the Lord? God, I need your help. Lord, please, please come save me. Please come rescue me. We don't like what he sent. We don't like the way he sent it or the timing he sent it. Why would David be so ready to follow God? Because David knew that God's way was going to be the everlasting way. Remember, we're prone to having what kind of ways? Hurtful ways. Ways that bring pain, ways that bring hardship, ways that bring labor and problems and difficulty. But even though God's way might seem hard at first, it always ends up better than our way. Our ways are temporary fixes. And the Bible says our ways are ways that, if not guided by God, end up in hurt and pain. The Bible says God's way is a way that lasts forever and ends up in blessing. David was convinced of that. I remember when I was a little boy and uh, we'd get a vacation Bible school and there was a lady and she had this thing called a flannel graph. Y'all ever seen a flannel graph before? I think we still have one back in our children's ministry and we use it. It's kind of neat to, you know, see the little flannel graph. I don't know what it is about flannel graph that kids love, but she had one flannel graph story. It was just, you know, as you take this, uh, I don't know, somebody else can describe it to you. Something like felt and you stick the pictures on and you can move them all around. Well, she had one flannel graph that was based on Matthew 7 verses 13 and following where Jesus talks about the broad road and the narrow road. And I remember she'd, she'd really, I mean, she had a, a gift for telling stories, and I remember the lights and the glamour and, and the attraction of that Broadway. And I remember the plain and unimpressive entrance of the narrow way. But though it appeared to be narrow or restrictive or inhibiting, if you step back and look down the road, you could see that at the end of the narrow road, there was a beautiful city. There was great enjoyment. There was lots of fulfillment and freedom. On the other hand, for the broad road, while it seemed to have great promise at the beginning, actually, it kind of fizzled out pretty quickly. In fact, there was lots of nice, pretty, flashy signs up front, but those big signs were all just empty promises. Those promises offered so much, but it was just a marketing ploy. In fact, it was all pretty shallow at best, and at the worst, it was actually pretty dangerous. I'll never forget that story as a child. It taught me a lesson about trusting God. God's way does not always look so flashy, does it? It does not look like the favorite way, the best way. And so all I need to determine is, is this God's way? And I need to trust his word that if I follow God's way, though it may not look as flashy, though it may not look as exciting, there is unbelievable blessing that lasts for how long? That lasts forever on God's way. Right now, you might not be sure yet if you want God to search your life and to lead your life. You know why? Because you don't know what that's going to mean for you. You're not sure. You have a hunch probably, but you're not sure exactly what it is he's going to want to deal with and how he's going to deal with it. And can I just share something with you? I understand that feeling well. I understand what it's like to say, God, I've never been that route before. (laughs) And I'm not so sure I want to check out those rooms. In fact, I had those doors closed for a reason, Lord. I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want somebody else to see it, whatever the reason was. But can I promise you something? It is worth it to let God search out your heart 
And when he goes to that room, he's very likely going to come to that room that you hoped he wouldn't point at. And that's going to be the first one he's going to say, let's deal with this one first. Maybe you have been allowing God to do that. Maybe you've begun to open up access to your life. And now he's pointing out things that he's wanting to work on and you're beginning to backpedal a little bit with him. I understand how that feels too. I mean, you know, I was in that worship service and I know you spoke to my heart and I really believe that you wanted to speak to me, God, but, but, but I, I wasn't really thinking we were going to go there. Or, or, or I kind of thought you were going to leave me over here and, and, and I wasn't expecting this. I want to promise you something. God's way is the everlasting way. It's not the dead end that, that her, ends up in hurt like so many other roads that we've traveled. The Bible says that God is the path to life. You see, listen, what, whatever needs to be dealt with, it may not be that God's going to take that out of your life. It might be something very appropriate for walking with Him. But He needs to to mend it. He needs to fix it. He needs to do something about that in your life. There's something not right about that in your life. So it may not be that God's going to take that away from you. It might just be that He's wanting to work on that. Or, very frankly, there may be something that you have a sense that God is going to take out of your life. And that scares you, doesn't it? You know, deep in your heart, you know that God does not want that for you. And so you're afraid he's going to take it away. Can I promise you, can I tell you something today from God's word? Whatever God takes out, he always takes out and replaces with something better. God does not leave us empty. God does not leave a vacuum in our lives. He is the only one who can truly fill our lives. The hard part for us is is that we walk by sight and not by faith. He says we need to walk by faith and not by sight. If God says, that's not what I want for you, then I can, listen, I mean, I can get confident with this thing. If God says, this thing is not what I want for you, it may break my heart because there's something about that thing that I desire, right? There's something about that that I think I need or that I like or that I want. And there may be some truth in that. There is some desire there that God wants to fulfill in my heart, but it's being fulfilled with empty promises, promises that are going to hurt me or going to hurt someone else down the road. It may be soon, it may be later, but God says, do you trust me that I can take that out of your life? And if I take that out of your life, that I will replace it with something better. In fact, that, that almost sounds too, too, uh, too watered down, something better. Almost sounds like there was something over here and God just gave me something else. You know what it is? I believe that thing in the first place was a counterfeit. God says, I'm going to replace what was a counterfeit with the thing that you really needed and wanted in the first place. So the question is this today. Are you willing to let God come into your life and to do His work. And remember what I said, are you willing? I didn't just say, are you open? But are you? is that what you desire? Can you honestly say that right now, that is what I want God to do? Or maybe now that He is working in your life, the question is, will you let Him deal with every area? I know that feeling all too well. God, I'll give you this. God, I'll give you that. God, I'll go here. God, I'll do this. But, (laughs) isn't that what we're thinking? But not that one, Lord. That one's too painful. That one is too close to me. That one I can't give up. 
Are you willing to let him deal with every area? And really what it comes down to is this. Are you willing to follow his lead? David tells us, and I would tell you, God's path is the path to life. But will you? I can't give that to you. You can't give that to me. Will you trust him and follow him wherever that leads you? Remember, that's what we Christians are called, aren't we? Aren't we called disciples? What is that? In today's language, what would we say? We are followers of Christ. I mean, if we just want to put it in a very pure way, we just, wherever God goes, that's where we're going. That's what we've said our life is about. We are followers of Christ and His leading in, in our lives. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you said, God, I surrender my life to you. I know that I've been on the wrong path. And I know that those paths have brought pain and hurt and ultimately they'll lead to me being separated from you forever. But I thank you that you will stop me on the path right where I stand, no matter if I'm two steps down it or 2,000 steps down it. You will stop me on that path and you will transplant me to the place you want me to be on your path right now because of Jesus. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever said, God, right now, I want to get on your path. I want to receive Jesus as my personal Savior. Maybe you are a follower of Christ, but God is leading you to do something with your life. God is speaking to your heart about dealing with something. Listen, that will not stop. So just, just get over it. From now to the time you die, God will never stop, stop dealing with things in our lives. And praise Him for it. <laughs> because there is still hurtful ways in me. Amen? Do you still have thoughts? Do you still have actions about your life that if God didn't do something about them, you would cause pain in your life or in the lives of others? I do. And so today, what is it? It might just be your attitude with your husband or your wife. Maybe that doesn't seem like a big deal. Maybe it doesn't come out in big ways. But at home, it is a big deal, isn't it? Your kids are watching. You know it's not right. Things aren't, it seems like a small thing. But God, that's your next step. God's saying, this is the way I'm going. That's our next step. We need to deal with that one over there. But Lord, I just got, you know, I just started tithing. Man, I just started going to Bible studies. Oh, I'm thinking about even, you know, going on outreach or a mission trip. And the Lord says, what about your attitude? What about the way you're dealing with somebody at home? It could be something small to me, but it's big for you. It's the next step in your walk with Christ. Where is He leading your life today? Do you need to receive Him as your personal Savior? Do you need to demonstrate that you've received Him by being baptized publicly in front of others to, to show that you completely identify your life with Jesus Christ? Maybe today, the Bible doesn't use this term, but sometimes we use it in church. Maybe you need to recommit your life or rededicate your life to Christ. Maybe you need to draw a line in the sand and say, as a Christian, I know that I have received Christ. I know that my desire has been to follow Christ, but to be very honest with you, I've gotten way off the everlasting path. And God, I thank you that you never left me, but I want to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm coming back by your help, by your grace. Maybe you're a Christian here today and you started out in love with God, on track with Him, and God's speaking in your heart. Somehow, very slowly over time, maybe even, you've gotten far, far away from Him. Would you just stop on the road today and look up and say, I don't even know how to get back to God's way. You ever felt like that? I have. 
God, I just tell him that. God, I am so far away from the sound of your voice, I don't even know how to start getting back to you. He has an amazing way of just kind of picking you up and putting you over there. Would you trust him today for that? Is there some kind of decision that you need to make? In just a few moments, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We're going to meet around the Lord's table, and we're going to be reminded of what he's done for us. Would you ask him to search your heart as we do that this morning? Would you give him this opportunity? Whatever he's putting his finger on, maybe you can't take care of it right now. Maybe it's going to have to be later this afternoon. Maybe it's going to have to be next month. But God, my desire is everything starting now. Let's pray together.